Good morning, friends. Good morning. Hey, we have um, some, uh, well, two really exciting reasons to celebrate this morning. Uh, last week, we, we welcomed back uh, Aaron, but today we get to welcome back both Joyce and Paul. Isn't this awesome? Um, it, is, it is really great to have you both back in our, in our little, little round. You guys get to experience the round for the first time. Um, Maybe your maybe your friends here can tell you their opinions about it afterwards. <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely, Paul. I would like to thank this entire congregation for all the help that, that was given to me. I know one you wrote a nice a nice letter, and uh, that was my feelings also, and just truly humbled by the help and the prayers that I received. We are truly a family, and I, I thank you for that. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it was. Uh, I it was really. Um, yeah, thank you for those words. I'm not gonna. I don't need to speak more on top of your words. I'll go back to my own words because I have enough to say for this morning. <laughs> um, we are in the season of of, of Lent. Um, we're, we're, our, our our actual sermon series. I think you're gonna see how it can connect, and it was it was somewhat intentional. But I just want to give you a little brief rundown of, of the season that we are kind of going into. You notice that some of our scripture readings this morning, the confession, uh, even our uh, creed was kind of based in this, this penitential season of Lent. And it all started on uh, what we call Ash Wednesday just a few uh, days ago. Um, a, a couple of us gathered here, right here in the round, um, and we put ashes on our head that night. Uh, well, as, as actually, I put ashes on people's head and attempted to do... Um, my own. And, and it, is a, it is somewhat of a bizarre custom if you have no clue why we do that or why that has been something that's been around for. But the, the whole beginning of Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday, is really that it would remind us of our mortality, right? We talked on, on Ash Wednesday a little bit about our finitude, that finitude is actually part of the reason why things in life can be so sweet, right? Like Christmas only comes once a year, and so it's even extra sweet that there's a, a finite time that Christmas is here. And that's kind of the way that it is with our life. Now, I, I did kind of put a little bit of this on the social media this week, but I want to expound just for a couple moments, kind of in lieu of our family time this morning, is that it is a very weird thing to be a pastor of a church and to take your finger and dip it into an ash and draw a cross on someone's forehead with the words, for dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. Basically meaning you were formed from the ground, and you're going to go back into the ground someday, i.e. You're, you're going to die. And so that's kind of where we start Lent, and we start with Ash Wednesday. And, and I'm going to admit, it, it is kind of heavy to be, to be putting that cross on, on people who you dearly love in your own church body. Then you have like a couple of the little kids were here on, on Wednesday, and you're saying those words to, to, to young children, and now our family was up at Steel Hill on Wednesday this week, but in years past, I've done that to my wife and to my own kids, and it's kind of a heavy thing to tell that to people who you love. But something that was really spirit-driven and something that was really beautiful was we were doing our Eucharist at the end, and we did Eucharist a little differently on Ash Wednesday. We, uh, you know, people just kind of came up as they were ready, and so I was able to actually sit and reflect and meditate upon the Eucharist and the ashes and all those kinds of things. Um, and as we were sitting there, uh, Andrew started quietly playing just the instrumental version of uh, Gunger's Beautiful Things. And I don't even know if he did that on purpose. He said that he didn't. So maybe the spirit purposely played through your fingers that night. But I'm sitting there thinking about how heavy it was to put the ashes on. And then there's a song where it says, 
God, you make beautiful things out of the dust, the same dust that I'm wiping on people's heads. And it was just a reminder that, you know, I mean, Andrew said this too, that first of all, the dust is a good thing. The ground is good. And we're going to get into that with food here in a few minutes. That, that's where our food actually comes from, the ground. So the ground is a good thing. But being dust and going is actually a way for God to form us each and every day, right? If God is that beautiful creator of the ground and the dust, then he's able to transform us each and every day. And so that's kind of what Lent is kind of supposed to be our practice before we get to celebrate, well, commemorate and celebrate Good Friday into, into Easter, basically, the Holy Week, the whole Holy Week thing. Um, if you are interested in what our Holy Week services look like this year, it's actually on the back of our Ash Wednesday bulletin, which is hanging up in a couple places around here. But it will also, as Abby said, be in the weekly e-newsletter uh, that, that, that comes out. But here's the thing. In Lent, sometimes people will give something up, right? Give up something. I will give up X and X and X, and hopefully that will make us, uh, you know, kind of concentrate and think about the, you know, the creator. You know, that, that will kind of can pop that up in, in our brains, and our mind. And other times I've heard of people like adding something on for Lent. Like instead of, um, you, know, uh, you know, maybe I'll also add on. Maybe I'll read a little more of my Bible or, or maybe I'll be more committed to this practice or that practice. And, and so this is kind of where our series does kind of tie into that. Because if you notice every single week we've been passing out a couple of reflections and practices on this Liturgy of the Ordinary series. Um, this Liturgy of the Ordinary series is kind of thoughts that can kind of get us into the mind frame of seeing the sacred in everyday life, that there is no such thing as sacred and non-sacred. Rather, all of life is sacred, and how can we actually see the divine in that sacredness? And so we're looking at this uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Basically, why do we do what we do when we gather here on Sundays, and how can that transform the world around us as we walk on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Um, if you haven't been around the last couple of weeks, week one, we formed a thought process basically around the idea of liturgy and ritual. Uh, week two, we explored a theology of using our bodies as a temple, our bodies that, uh, whether we use them in gathered worship or when we're worshiping out in, uh, again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And last week, we looked at transforming our not-so-good moments. And we tied that into confession and absolution, right? That we, that we do end up having periods of our day where we're like, I can't do this anymore. And we get down on ourselves and we need that constant reminder, that, that loud voice of God saying, you are my beloved. That's kind of where we left off last week. And so this week, we're going to talk about eating leftovers. That's the, the main theme. I mean, the main theme, which is really in the series, if you can realize, is never actually the main thing. It's really the subtitle that's underneath there. We're going to talk about eating leftovers, word and sacrament, and overlooked nourishment. Let's pray before we dig in. <laughs> Holy Father, uh, Jesus the Christ, and, 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 and Holy Spirit, we, we humbly bring our entire selves before you this morning as we talk about food, as we talk about our daily bread, as we talk about sacrament, as we talk about your sacramental presence and we talk about nourishment, both with our bodies and our souls that we desperately need. God, we realize that we cannot do this without your spirit. And so God, we know that your spirit is here. We know that your spirit is as close as the air that we breathe in. So we simply ask God that you will, we would allow ourselves to be transformed by that breath, by that spirit. And God, as we dig into the things that you say, about nourishment. May you transform our hearts for how we view these things even when we walk out of this place here in a few minutes. 
God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so today is all about food. It's a fun one, right? Any foodies out there? Where did foodie come from, anyways? Like, the idea of, a, like, a foodie. I, that's got to be kind of recent, right? I mean, I haven't never heard that until a couple of years ago. I, um, I mean, what is a foodie? Someone who enjoys food? I, I enjoy food, then I'm a foodie. Any foodies out there? Now, my mom had something when we were growing up. My mom always uh, was, was very happy that she uh, ate to live, is what she would call it, and then she would say that my dad lived to eat. Um, I would fit myself in the live to eat category, <laughs> and I don't always do the best job at it, but, um, what would you say is your perfect or ideal meal? So if we're going to talk about food, what is your like absolute perfect, um, ideal meal? Like if you could con- concoct any meal to have tonight on your dinner table or go somewhere or whatever it be, what would that ideal meal be? Thick crust pizza. Thick crust pizza. Okay. That's fair. I was going to open that up and like, like after I told you mine, but I'll let you guys go first. Sorry. It's okay. Anyone else? What's your perfect meal? Boiled dinner. Boiled dinner? Ooh, St. Patty's Day coming up. That's right. And by the way, don't yuck other people's yum, what we say that in our family. We all like different things, right? Lasagna and Lasagna. Um, anyone else? Perfect Big meal? Big bean breakfast special. Big bean breakfast special? <laughs> If you've never been to the Big Bean before, it is one of the better breakfast places around here now that Rogan's shut down. So. Chicken? Fried chicken or grilled chicken? Fried. Oh, you're nice job, man. KFC or better than KFC? Better than KFC? All right. You like KFC? Um, so I, I would say I got a couple different meals that I would say are my favorite. Uh, one of my absolute favorites is uh, something that I can't even make, but it's Leona's Meatballs. Um, <laughs> Anyone here ever experienced Leona's meatballs? Woo! That will just get your taste buds flowing. I can't even bring the container home now. I leave it here at the church that she gives me as leftovers because my kids will devour them in one Sunday. So now I leave them here and I will just bring like two or three home at a time. But I also love, I also love going to, uh, uh, in the summer, on Thursdays a lot of times, I'll walk uh, down from here to the farmer's market downtown. Um, which, by the way, it's an awesome farmer's market if you've never been before. It, it, it opens from 2.15 to 6. It's a weird, I don't know why they have to cut 15 minutes off at of 2. But, so they can meet from 2.15 to 6 and you can go down there and get stuff. And I love going down there and getting like some sort of meat. Uh, we, do, we, do, we do goat a lot, actually, from there. Don't yuck my yum. We like goat meat. Um, maybe some steaks down there. But then it's the vegetables. The, 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 the farmer's market brings some of the best produce you'll ever I mean, there's farmer's markets all over the place, so that kind of a thing. There's something really cool about being able to connect with the people who are providing the food, which we're going to actually get to in the sermon in a little bit. But another thing that's one of my favorite things is a buffet. Anyone else like a buffet? (laughs) I mean, it's like the exact opposite of the farmer's market, but we went to a buffet on uh, uh, Brad and I, and the kids ate a buffet at this place at Steel Hill that, I mean, I must have ate about six of these little fried chicken cutlets. And man, I did not feel good that night. (laughs) But let's face it, here, here, here's the bottom line. Not every single one of our meals is going to be Leona's meatballs. Not every one of our ideal meals is going to be fried chicken on a buffet or, you know, we're not going to be able to afford nor have the time to go to the farmer's market every single day of the week. And, and, and as a matter of fact, most of the meals we eat aren't even close to our ideal or perfect meals. And most of them are kind of just like eating 
eating leftovers. I mean, I, my wife loves eating leftovers. I'm not a big leftover person. But most of the meals you've eaten in your life, think about this, you're never going to remember. You're probably not going to remember what you had Thursday for lunch, unless you're, you know, do actually have a great memory. But nonetheless, these little meals you've had here and there and there and here are these meals that have kept you alive for all these years, right? These little tiny meals, the leftovers, the, 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 the quick little thing of yogurt because you got nothing else in the house or the PB&J sandwich, which is actually on the front cover of this book. Those are the little meals that actually are keeping us alive day in and day out. We know food is important for our physical bodies. But did you know that food is just as important for our spiritual souls as well? Both the food that we eat and we'll, we'll talk about metaphors of food in just a minute. Um, food and worship, according to Pastor Tish in this, in this book, are in fact super intertwined with each other. And here's where, where, where she's going and, and, and where I'm eventually going. We've been talking about parts of our liturgy over the last uh, three weeks, right? We talked about invocation and how we start our day. We uh, talked about our bodies, how we use bodies in worship. We've talked about uh, confession and absolution, how that ties into our day. But did you know that our liturgy, the rituals that we enact here every single week during a Sunday service, centers around two main ingredients? Ha, ah, you like that one? <laughs> two main ingredients here that our worship centers around, and it's word and sacrament. But you guys, the answer's right there on the screen. <laughs> word and sacrament. Word and sacrament is the ethos around which we, which we gather. Um, if you notice, a lot of times on Sunday, I'll even put on our social media, word and sacrament at 10 a.m. I mean, that really does kind of you know, encapsulate the majority of what we do. When I was in seminary, we were taught that our primary focus as a pastor is to preach the word and administer the sacraments. That was the two things that we were taught were our biggest, most important jobs in uh, being a pastor of a church. We did not learn about maintaining social media accounts or sending e-newsletters. We never learned about how to set up a shoveling schedule or we never even learned how to uh, lead like a council in like managerial type of admin kind of ways. We were taught primarily about learning how to preach the word, which would be sermon times like this and even the word that gets into our, our services in other ways and administering the sacraments. The sacraments um, being for, for, for our church body and for the majority of uh, evangelical Protestant churches would be uh, Communion, right? The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, and do you know the other one? Baptism. Baptism. Yeah, those are the two sacraments that we, um, that we kind of form our, our structure around. Now, the word being, uh, so the word, this is one's a little bit interesting because if you really dig in really deep, like we talked about in our Bible class this morning, um, the, the word really is Jesus himself. In the most, if you boil it all the way down to, you know, in the beginning was the word Jesus and the word was with, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Jesus as God's better word, but then flowing through Jesus, we look through the lens of Jesus and we read all of scripture as being that word. And that's what you see that goes flowing through our services. Everything from confessions to absolutions and assurances and invocations and prayers, they're all based in what we would call the word. And like I said, the sacraments being baptism and, and Eucharist. I'm going to read to you a couple different uh, parts of scripture that kind of have a weird metaphor with, uh, with food and see if you can kind of, as I'm reading this, connect the idea of physical food with something that has to do with God's spoken word, okay? 
Uh, this one comes from Ezekiel chapter 3, um, where Ezekiel uh, writes, He said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, mortal, eat this scroll that I give to you and fill your stomach with it. So then I ate the scroll and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. Is, is Ezekiel talking about God giving him an actual scroll to eat? Like a piece of paper? Like what if I ripped up pages out of the Bibles in your pews and said, eat this, Paul. Eat this, Anna. I mean, that'd be kind of gross, right? Ezekiel here is talking about the word coming from God's own mouth that he is eating as, as food. Then if you go fast forward to the book of Revelation, remember we talked about things like Ezekiel and, and Daniel and, and Revelation, that these are all metaphors. We're looking at all these things as metaphors. And so in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, he says, So I went to the angel, John of Patmos writes, and I told him to give me the little scroll. Again, it's words written on a piece of paper. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. We call that the law and the gospel in in uh, pastoral circles and in stuff that we talk about here. So he says, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. Again, John Patmos is not being forced to eat an actual scroll, but rather it's a metaphor for, 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 for eating that word of God that can sometimes feel bitter in our stomach, but yet sweet in our mouth. Even Jesus, in our gospel reading for this first Sunday of Lent today, in Matthew chapter 4, remember this better word of Jesus says, one does not live by, as one knows, bread alone. Right? Because remember the, uh, the, the, the accuser is trying to say, hey, turn this stone to bread. And Jesus responds with, man, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you starting to see how the word of God food is kind of very much correlated here in these scriptures? And the last one I'll give you is from Paul from the Church of Corinth. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for solid food, and still you're not ready. And he kind of gets a little bit mean and then like, explains to them what he's talking about later. Um, but do you think that Paul is seriously sitting there with his congregants with a bottle feeding them milk? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the word of God, and so he had to start with milk. It's right. It's easier for a kid to drink a bottle of milk when they're an infant than it is for them to digest actual meat. And so Paul's kind of talking about in our spiritual life, we may need to start with some milk but then eventually get into the meat. So, all right, so we've seen multiple parts of Scripture itself talking about itself and about Jesus' word uh, being uh, food. And then, this is where Pastor Tish comes in here, and this is one of my favorite quotes of this book. I actually have used this in many liturgies surrounding the Eucharist. Uh, Pastor Tish writes, At the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples to eat in remembrance of him. All of the things he could have chose to be done in remembrance of him, Jesus chose a meal. Have you ever thought about that before, that the one thing he did before he died was give us a meal to eat? He could have asked his followers to do something impressive, climb a mountain, fast for 40 days, or have some sort of a trippy sweat lodge ceremony. But instead, he picks the most ordinary of acts, eating and drinking, through which to be present to his people. He chooses unremarkable and plain, average and abundant food like bread and wine. If you study under guys like N.T. Wright, which I've quoted him quite a few times in our Kingdom Project, um, and you read through some of his commentaries on things like the Lord's Supper, he'll remind us that in the upper room right before Jesus' death, he didn't offer his followers theories of, of the atonement. Or N.T. Wright will say he didn't have them recite a creed or explain precisely how his death would accomplish salvation. Instead, he gave them and us an act to perform. 
specifically a meal in which to gather around. This is what M.T. Wright says. He says, a meal that speaks more volumes than any theory. Ever wonder why we get so caught up in trying to get all the theories exactly correct when Jesus, right the night before he was betrayed and died, just gave us a simple meal? And T. Wright says this meal that speaks more volumes than any theory. And so Pastor Tish continues, and I'll be kind of done with the, well, no, I'm not done with some of this stuff, but um, she says, if all the cathedrals on earth were gone and all the most glorious art were lost and all the world's most valuable treasures were thrown out, and I would even add in there if all the musical instruments and the screens and, and the chairs and everything were thrown out, Christians could and would still meet for worship around the scriptures and around the Eucharist. Because to have church, all we need is word and sacrament. That's it. You see, Jesus is bread. We could have talked about this too, John chapter 6, where Jesus tells his disciples that he is the bread of life and, and people don't understand and they're like, well, do we need to take a bite out of your skin? And he's like, well, no. I mean, maybe later on I'll compare my body to a, a piece of bread. But God, Jesus says that he is this bread, this daily bread, but Jesus also is part of the Trinity that gives us real physical bread too. It's kind of a beautiful tension and a beautiful mystery if you start to think about it. And so even the small act of thanking God for our food before a meal, who does that before a meal? Laying a lunch, dinner, that kind of stuff. Just even, just even a simple act of reciting a memorized prayer or, 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 or perhaps praying over your food. Even just saying, thank you, God, for this food I'm about to eat. Even just something simple like that can help form us to see that all of our daily bread, bread like Jesus tells us to pray for, whether it's food or it's spiritual food, is a gift from the creator of all things. A gift from that one who even makes ash and ground good. So now we can receive whatever it is that comes our way. Whatever is set before us on the table and all these small, seemingly insignificant meals are what brought us to this day. Now, it's really interesting. If you're following along at all and you're reading in this chapter, uh, Pastor Tis does something uh, where she takes a turn in a direction I wasn't expecting. And even the second time I read it, I forgot that she takes it into this turn because she starts to start making a connection between how we eat food here in gathered worship stuff and compares that to how we eat fast food basically out in our uh, Monday through Sunday world. Um, she talks about basically our fast food eating habits here and our fast fooding, food eating habits out in, in the world. And, and again, so she says it this way, and I'm just going to read you her words. She says, our subculture of evan evangelicalism tends to focus more on excitement, passion, risk, and the kind of worship that gives us a rush. You know that, 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 that rush of a feeling like, whoo, man, I feel the spirit. And he says, we'll go to see a new personality. We'll go to hear a new truth to get a new experience. And so somehow that will expand our otherwise boring and humdrum life. We can see this all around us, right? We, 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 we can see this happening all around us. Did you know that the majority of church plants in the United States get new growth right in the beginning simply from other Christians who are coming from another church that just want something more exciting, something different, something that their church is not offering them, some program that's there. We see this all around us, this, this consumer culture invading into the, the church. And Pastor Tish continues, she says, instead of the focus of worship being that which nourishes us, 
namely this word and sacrament ministry that we're talking about, the focus became that which sells, excitement, adventure, a sizzling or shocking spiritual experience, an individual's own experience of worship became the centerpiece of Christian life in America. Now, I want to just kind of step off the pedestal for like a half a second and say that feeling the presence of God in spiritual experiences and, and things that make you excited and sizzle or shock you, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But how did we get to the point where we need that every single five seconds in order to be connected to the divine? How did the American church kind of start to become less about this, this, this place that provides us with, with, with word and sacrament, with, with, with food that truly nourishes us, while it may be a little humdrum at times, to having to be all about excitement and, 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 and all that stuff. Now think about it. It makes sense because the exciting perfect meal is really great once in a while, isn't it? But what would happen to your perfect exciting meal if you ate that meal every single day? I'm sorry, Leona, but your meatballs would start to taste like SpaghettiOs. And so I think that people are continually trying to seek that perfect meal week in and week out instead of staying consistent in community, not giving up when, you know, money troubles hit or, or, or other things are happening just to go to the place that's new and more exciting because it's really the small, seemingly insignificant meals that can sustain us. And we call that word and sacrament that we keep talking about. Yet oftentimes these things don't feel life-changing, do they? Sometimes hearing a sermon or taking the Lord's Supper might not seem that exciting. But it's precisely word and sacrament ministry and in our leftovers that we realize we're surrounded by this abundance, this unimaginable abundance. Pastor Tiss says that when she eats her bowl of soup as a leftover, it's a steaming symbol of her astounding privilege. And think about this. The majority of the world now and the majority of history from now till the beginning of time would have no clue. They'd be floored if they saw the abundance of food that we have in our culture. They'd be floored if they saw that we have these devices that can keep food at an exact perfect temperature, that we can eat it day after day after day. The fact that we can even eat leftovers is a, is a huge deal, all because of the invention of the refrigerator, right? And so these forgotten meals can shape us. They can form us. Uh, that's the book that James Smith wrote, You Are What You Love. Our habits shape our desires. And so we look at how food and theology and our worship are all connected. It starts to open up questions of how and why we do what we do. You see, we're either formed by the practices of the church through spirit-driven rhythms. We're either formed by those practices into worshipers who receive all of life as a gift. Or we can be formed as a consumer of both food and spirituality. Just a question that she poses in the book, and I'll ask you today. Have we forgotten in 2020 where our food actually comes from? Like, have we forgotten where the food that is actually on our tables comes from? Like, what does it take to provide the meal that we eat? Like, what, what are the things that go into place? Like, think about a, a, a certain meal that you love. Where is that food coming from? How did it get from wherever it originated onto your plate because we can either look at food in one of two ways we can either look at food as a commodity 
or we can look at it as a gift. As a commodity, it's going to arrive on our table by magic. I pay money, I get the food, I eat it, and I go on with my day. But as a commodity, food can start to form ingratitude in our hearts. When we start to form ingratitude in our hearts, it can transform our hearts and that can bring injustice. We have no clue where the food comes from on our tables, how the workers who harvest them were treated, or how the impact it's made our environment. It's just food. It's just fast food. I get it, need it. I got to pay for it. I got to get on my day. And so I'm going to consume whatever I can do to fill this body without a care in the world about anyone else that's around me. But... If we start looking at our food as a gift, these questions will pop up again and again. And so our worship here on Sundays isn't focused around providing some sort of spiritual experience that will just light you up. Maybe it does sometimes. Maybe it doesn't. And that's okay. Shane Claiborne has the best thing in his book of common prayer where he says, what happens when you don't feel like reading scripture, praying, all that kind of stuff? He goes, just do it. Do it anyways. It might seem stale, but you're good. But, but keep at it. Keep in it. Because when we gather here around word and sacrament rather than fast food experiences of euphoria, it reminds us that our core identity is not one of a consumer, but rather of a worshiper. A person who bears the image of the one who holds all this together, allowing us to know, enjoy, and to glorify God through our food, but also to think about how our food impacts those that we love around us. We can love God and love our neighbors by the way that we eat and choose to consume food. The word Eucharist literally means, does anyone know what the word Eucharist literally means? It's such a fancy church word when you think about it, and some people hesitate to use it because it might sound too supposedly Catholic, but it literally means thanksgiving. That's all the word means. It means a thanksgiving. It's a meal that is done with other people, right? Where two or more are gathered precisely because it erases the walls that we've built around our persons. It's a gathered meal that fights against individualism, the idea that I just take what I need. Paul, in, the, in one of the letters to, to, to one of the churches, I think it was in Corinthians, was, was railing into them because some people were taking more communion than other people. They were not feeding people even with their own food, and they were being selfish about this meal that is supposed to take against away our individualism and rather bring it back into community. You see, the Eucharist brings a sense of thanksgiving in the midst of community. It's a meal that transforms all other humble meals into smaller meals of Eucharist or thanksgiving, where we can start to have Eucharist in every single meal we eat, whether it's Leona's meatballs or, or going to the farmer's market or wherever we may be, even SpaghettiOs can become a Eucharistic type of meal for us. Not that they become sacrament in and of themselves, that's not the line that I'm drawing here, but where we can see the sacramental, the presence of God in tangible things every single day. You see, we know that without each other, we wouldn't be fed. If other people didn't exist, you would not have food. I mean, people are creating the food that you eat. It's not, we don't grow and kill and all that stuff all for ourselves. Some people might, and that might be a beautiful way for you to, to live in this world. But the majority of us are depending on other people for food. And so spiritually, we realize that also we depend on each other to be fed spiritually. We come together as the body of Christ to feed on the body of Christ, to be sent back out as the body of Christ to the world around us. Where we can see all moments as sacramental. Again, not sacraments themselves, 
but rather we can see all moments as sacred and holy and allow that sacred and holy to set up shop and transform our hearts. So here's where we're going to land this morning. I'm going to invite Stephen to come back up and play some, uh, some piano music for us. I'm going to pass out these, uh, these sheets. And as we continue in this journey, and especially during Lent and beyond, um, perhaps these sheets can, again, be just a small practice that you add into your, into your life. Anna's actually sitting in the, the pass-out seat on that side. And Gene, David, Mr. Coop, anyone? And as these are being passed around, perhaps think about and reflect upon these four points and maybe think about taking one or two of these or all of them um, as we continue in this Lenten season and in this season of exploring why do we do what we do when we gather and why do we do when we're not here. Number one, simply thank God for each meal you eat this week. That's pretty cool, right? We talked about a lot of us say, hey God, thank you so much for my food. But does the prayer end there? She says, if possible, find out where your food came from and pray for the people and place from which it came. I'm going to tell you, this is really hard to do. We were eating uh, like chips and salsa yesterday and I had some veggies and Ann and I were talking about this and I, I don't know where Ortega salsa comes from. I could look it up, but maybe look it up this week. Try to find out and actually pray for the people and the places from which it came. Pray for the ground that is producing this food for your body to be sustained. Pray for these workers that they're being compensated fairly, that, they're not, that, that we're not having an abundance so that way all on the back of them suffering. Who knows, maybe your prayers will transform your hearts even in the way that you eat. Number two, read from the Gospels. Journal about places where you experience nourishment. So we're talking about spiritual food here in the Gospels. And places where you struggle and feel like the scriptures are stale or unappetizing. It's going to happen at some points. Journal about it. Talk to God about it. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to me about it. Talk about where you're at in this whole spiritual journey thing with the Bible. We're all at different spots. Number three. In one day. So take one day this week maybe. Say take Wednesday. I don't know. And notice how you are formed to value consumption, convenience, or self-fulfillment above all else. Basically, what she's trying to say is that meal that you're eating, are you just trying to consume it as fast as you can? Is it convenient for you? And is it fulfilling you at the cost of someone else's life? And notice whether gathered worship forms you differently than the broader culture of consumption. Remember, she talked about being a consumer or rather receiving things as a gift. And then number four, perhaps brainstorm with your family or the other people who you're in life with ways of eating that are more connected to the land and the people around you. I mean, I suggested the, the farmer's market earlier. That's a great thing to do. Um, you know, I even know that our farmer's uh, market takes um, like the, the little uh, the EBT cards, um, you know, for people that are on you know, uh, that, that are on uh, state assistance. Um, it, 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 it's fun. Talk to the people who are giving you the food. Ask them about, you know, their, the cow that brought that meat to you. Or, or they'll get very, the farmers at the farmer's market are very excited 
to tell you where their vegetables come from, trust me. They get really excited to talk about whether they use pesticides or not, and they all got all these different opinions on it and all that kind of stuff. Brainstorm ways of eating that are more connected to the land around people around you. And guess what? I get it. It's hard. We don't do this perfectly or not even near it perfectly. Um, but maybe one day a week. Maybe, maybe try to take one day a week that you can be more connected with the local stuff that's happening around here with food. I don't know. Take these. Take these and, uh, and just see maybe where they can go um, from here. And then next week we'll gather back again and we're going to talk about fighting with our spouse. Next week we're going to talk about fighting. Don't, don't not come now that I told you that. We're going to talk about fighting with our spouse but yet passing the peace. You know, I had a counselor once tell someone that I dearly love that it actually is impossible to win an argument if your whole sole purpose is to win the argument. I'm not saying we're talking about that next week, but... I don't know. And we'll see where these take us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we bring our food before you. We bring our bodies before you. We bring our confession before you. We bring our liturgy, our ritual. We bring the liturgy of the ordinary. We bring every single moment, every single mundane meal that keeps us alive before you. God, we thank you for providing us with that meal. We thank you for providing us with bread and wine for today to simply celebrate you in the Eucharist. We thank you for every meal that's put in front of us from lunch when we leave here to the donuts in the back of the church to, to, to whatever we eat tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And so God, help us help transform our hearts to where maybe we can get to that next level and pray for where our food is even coming from. To see our place in this whole, in this whole thing. God, help us to look at life as a gift and not a consumer. Help us look at at life as a privilege and not a right. God, you came into this world. You ate food just like us, yet you are the bread that sustains us. Jesus, you went to the cross. Jesus, you went and rose again. God, as we continue in this Lenten season, as we journey towards Jerusalem, and Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then that glorious Easter Sunday. May we do so with penitent hearts, with repentant hearts, and help us to transform our hearts and to develop perhaps new practices as we learn to see you in everything we do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.